Good morning, everybody. Here is one thing that I believe this morning, is that you came, you woke up, and you did not go to the beach. You chose to come here. And you came here not to hear another sermon, not to hear a band play some music. You came here because you need some hope. You came here because just maybe, just maybe God might show up and change something about you. You showed up because, God, I need you. And Paul says, listen, no matter what you're going through, no matter how dark the circumstances look, I am confident in this thing that he who begun a good work in you, will see it through to the end. In other words, you're in progress. Jesus is still working. You ain't there yet, but there's a certain confidence that no matter what it is that you're going through, there's hope. How many of you could use some hope this morning? How many of you could use some revival this morning? How many of you could use some resurrection this morning in your life? I don't know about you, but I could. This this word revival and, and, and resurrection and, and terms that often in the church that, that we use and, and it just brings about the sense of hope, the sense of, God, you have to do this thing. But, but there's a, the negative aspect of the, these words as well. Because for resurrection to happen, something has to die. I wish we could skip that part. Can we just have all like the good stuff Without, and, and that's why, you know, Easter Sunday, we come together. And Easter Sunday is just, it's amazing. We celebrate. We're celebrating resurrection. We're celebrating hope. And we're, we're celebrating revival in life. But, but then we forget, like, there was Good Friday just a few days before. And, and there was death and a cross. And, and what's even, even stranger about this situation is, is Saturday. The day where just seems like nothing happens. The, 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 the in-between death and resurrection, the day where it was just silent. And, and for some of you, that's how you feel. You feel like there's been certain things in your life where there's been a death, and God, there's all this pain and this heartache and there's this suffering, and yet I've yet to experience the resurrection. And it just feels like Saturday. And will Sunday ever get here? Will revival ever happen? And, and see, the first thing about revival, have, have you ever, uh, those of you that are from down south and familiar with uh, this area, there's a kind of a popular thing that churches will sometimes do. They'll put out these signs and they'll put billboards out and they'll schedule these revival meetings or come to the church at this time and there's a revival for the next you know, seven days or whatever. Um, and I've always kind of thought that this is funny because, I mean, the whole idea of, like, we're going to schedule revival, it, it doesn't really work that way. And, and then I've always, I've always thought of a bit funny, too, in the sense that I've wondered that, you know, if they really understand what they're getting themselves into. Because for revival and for resurrection, like we've just talked about, is, well, there has to be death. There has to be the acknowledgement that, Lord, something's wrong. 
We are not where we need to be. Therefore, we need you. So there, in my mind, there's the wondering, have we really done that? We could schedule these revivals. We could schedule the, the hope of this resurrection stuff. But have we taken the moment to, well, repent? Have we taken the moment where, like David says in Psalms 51, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation? Or have we just kind of fooled ourselves into thinking that, well, we'll just continue on with this life. See, when David is writing this psalm and he's writing this song, he's pouring out his heart and he's saying, God, listen, something's wrong with me. Something's happening and, and I'm not where I once was and I need you to bring some revival. I need some joy in my life. And, and the first and foremost thing to experiencing this revival in your life is realizing that you need it. Is realizing that you're lacking some joy. Realizing that, God, you need to bring some resurrection in my life. We're going to get there in just a moment. Hold on to that. Uh, In this book in Philippians that we've just read from, Paul is writing this letter. And he's writing this letter from prison, from jail. He is in shackles. He is awaiting his time to go before Caesar and and present his case. Uh, Paul has been beaten. He's been left for dead. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. Uh, If anything could go wrong, it went wrong with Paul. And yet he's writing this letter to a church that he started on one of his missionary journeys and to which the way the church was started was just a small group of people that met outside the city and gathered for a prayer meeting. And, and, And he's speaking to this church. And we can read about it in, in Acts 16 and Acts 17. And, and yet the words that come from his mouth are this, I have confidence in this thing. And, and because you are in my heart and is both in my chains and in my defense and in my confirmation of the gospel, we are partakers of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long to be with you with all the affections of Jesus Christ. Can you just hear his heart for this church? This is a pastoral letter. This is the pastor that has, has started this church, and, and, and he, he's gone on, and he's just saying, man, I long to be with you. I love you guys. And, and it's amazing that he's writing this from a place where if anyone could be discouraged, it's him. If anyone could, could look at their outward circumstances and kind of and take a moment to just kind of survey, well, this has happened to me, and, and I'm imprisoned, and more than likely I'm going to get killed, and, and all of these people hate me, and I've been kicked out of these towns, and I've done all. If anyone could kind of survey the success of their life, if anyone had reason to get depressed, it's Paul. And yet he's saying, man, there's a certain joy There's a certain tone. There's a certain thing that says, listen, there's something in God that goes beyond our present circumstances. There's something that I have with this relationship with God that goes beyond that. No matter what comes against me, there's a joy. There's there's a peace that passes all understanding. There's a joy that it doesn't matter if this happens to me or this happens to me. There's, There's something on the inside that's bigger than all of this. And what happens is he looks out at the world and and instead of seeing all the hurt and all the pain and the brokenness and the ashes, what he does is he begins to look deeper. He looks deeper to, to the outside. It looks like a big mess. It looks like everything's falling apart. But Paul looks deeper 
and he begins to see God moving. He begins to see God moving in the unexpected places. He begins to see God moving right there in the midst of his chains, in the midst of his prison. He's saying, listen, and and, and if we're not careful, we, we can miss it because he says, listen, the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that even this has become evident to the whole palace guard. So in other words, the very ones that are putting me in chains have seen the evidence that there is something different about me and there's something happening here and it's because of Christ and even these guys are coming to Christ. And, and later on, at, at the end of his letter, uh, in chapter 4, he's, he's given his kind of greetings and farewells and saying to this, he says, and all the saints greet you, especially those who are, are of Caesar's household. In other words, these very ones, these very captors are coming to Christ, and they are becoming Jesus followers, and they thank you. Now, this is amazing, because this is Paul. This is the very one that used to be the person throwing other Christians in jail. He used to be the captor, and now he has turned into the captee. He is the very one that that was fighting for what he thought was the good thing and and throwing it and killing these Christians, throwing them in jail. And now all of a sudden, the roles have changed and he is the one there. And and instead, he, he has this moment where he realizes, God, even in the midst of the rubble, even in the midst of the ashes, you are moving because these, even my captors realize that my chains are in you. And they're coming to Christ. And even those of Caesar's house greet you. Now, this is a very hard thing to do. Because what Paul is doing and what Paul is telling us is that we need to have a change of perspective. It's really easy to look at our life and look at the outward circumstances and look at the prisons and look at the ashes and look at the bad doctor's reports and look at uh, uh, the number in our bank account and look at all of the things that just make us want to get depressed and say, how is this going to work out? And, and Paul is saying, listen, even in the midst of all of that, look up. Because even in your change, Christ can be glorified. Do you remember uh, years ago, probably probably pretty popular in the early 90s, I'm guessing, uh, you would go to the mall. And at the mall, they would have these kiosks. In the middle of these kiosks would be these paintings. And these paintings would be just kind of splotchy and dots and red and all these, all these just funky looking. You couldn't tell what it was. Uh, the, the technical name for these things were auto stereograms. And what it would be is you would, you would look at this painting and it would have this title that would be, you know, Jungle Landscape, Underwater Feature. And... and I don't see the jungle landscape. And so, so you had to stand real still, and you had to look at these paintings that look just like a mess, and then all of a sudden someone beside you would be, oh, I see it. I see the dolphin. I see the, I see the lion. And you're just, no. What, what are you talking about? I don't see a thing. And so you're, everybody's in the mall, and everyone's just standing there. And then you're starting to get mad at the person that's seeing the stuff. No, it's not there. This is, it's just blue and, and nasty and messed up. And, and then you're just standing there. And then all of a sudden, oh, I see it. I just saw it. But then you take your attention off of it. And then you, ah, I lost it. Where'd it go? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all, and, and, and you, you see it and you're so happy. And that's kind of how God works. He takes the rubble 
and the mess and the ashes and the things that, well, to the obvious naked, how you can't see, but then all of a sudden you see, wow, God is moving even in the midst of these things. He looked deeper and he emerged and said, listen, even these in the house of Caesar are coming to Christ. There's an old quote that says this. Two men looked through prison bars. One saw mud, the other stars. See, it's all in how we look. It's all in how we view. It's easy to kind of look at the outward circumstances. He says, listen, you guys need to know that, that I love you. I'm with you on this thing. Uh, even though these chains are, are, are on me right now, that you are partakers with me in this defense and confirmation of the gospel, and you are all partakers with me in grace. Now, this is good. Because whenever we see and think about grace, sometimes I believe that we look at grace as this kind of, it's, it just kind of takes away our sins, or grace just kind of, it's this unmerited favor, and, and it, 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 this is good, but it's so much more. Grace is empowering. Grace is the very thing that gives you the power to do what God has called you to do. It says this in Ephesians 3, 8. God, you've given me this grace to preach to the Gentiles. In other words, God, you've given me this grace, and because this grace is so empowering, this is what you've called me to do, and I can do it because of your grace. There's another time where Paul says, listen, there's this thorn in my flesh, and then God responds and says, what? well, my grace is sufficient. See, grace is empowering. Grace is the fuel in the automobile. Grace is the thing that you can do whatever it is that God is calling you to do. Think about that for a moment. What is it that God is calling you to do? What is that dream and that hope and that vision that's in the back of your mind that you, maybe it's been laying dormant for a number of years. Maybe that dream seems so far out of reach that I don't know how I could do this thing. And God's saying, my grace is enough. You could do it. My grace is sufficient. But sometimes we keep our focus on our circumstances. Sometimes, just like Paul, we want to say, well, look at these chains. Look at the outward. Look at what, everything that's happening. And, here, and here's the reality. You don't need a new job. You don't need a new wife. You don't need a raise. It's 2 o'clock in the morning and you're watching those commercials and you don't need a double cheeseburger from McDonald's. I know you think you do because, ooh, that would look good right now. My wife is the worst for this, to see a commercial and think, ooh, I just, I just want that. I mean, every, every, every marketing technique that they put into these commercials, it works on my wife. And it's just, oh, I've got to have the Wendy's Frosty right now. It will solve all of my problems and make me happy. Go get me a Wendy's Frosty now. And then I go get the Wendy's Frosty. <laughs> but we've kind of bought into this lie, right? That like, hey, if we have these things, this is what will make me happy only to get those things and realize it didn't do the thing that I thought it would do. And yet what we have here is Paul saying, listen, all of the things that have gone wrong can have gone wrong. And yet even in the midst of not getting my Frosty, it's all good. It's okay. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His grace is enough. Uh, there's an old Hebrew story 
that the rabbis tell about when the temple was destroyed. Uh, the people were hauled away into slavery and captivity. And upon returning to the temple, it was broken and it was in ruins and just piles of ash and smoke still rising. And at that moment, the people gathered and all of a sudden the presence of God fell. And the people began to praise. And this word emerged from that, this word that for some of you that might have come from a Pentecostal or charismatic background, you may have heard it's this word Shekinah. And what this word literally translates is the meaning of this, that when God shows up in unexpected places, when God shows up in the rubble and the ash, and God, even though our beautiful temple, everything that we once held dear is now fallen to the ground, God, you are here, so you are worthy. And it's amazing. And God, we worship you. Uh, there was this video I saw uh, a few years ago of this street artist. And the street artist is out there on the street, and he's just painting this beautiful canvas. And he's just, he's just going, and it just looks like he's wild painting all these things. And you're watching this painting, and you're just, what is he painting? What is he doing? And you can't figure it out. Is this some kind of abstract art? What is he doing? And then at the very end, he takes the canvas and flips it upside down as this picture of Jesus. And you're, oh, now I see it. And the truth is, sometimes that's what it feels like God's doing in our lives. Sometimes he's painting this beautiful canvas, but we're seeing it from a different perspective, and God has to flip it upside down. And all of a sudden, one day we step back and we say, that's what you were doing, God. I didn't see it at the time, but I see it now. There's a story of this, uh, um, a pastor was speaking um, at a certain conference. It wasn't a church setting, uh, but at the end of this particular talk, uh, a woman got up for, they were doing some Q&A, and the lady asked this question. She got up and she said, um, I've just lost my two-year-old daughter. Tragic, tragic accident, and I'm broken, and I hurt, and what do I do with that? So how would you answer that question? <laughs> but this was his answer, and I loved it. Uh, it. It was the answer that I hoped that if I was there, I would have given he said, when we experience these types of tragedies and pain and hurt, it's easy sometimes, and I'm going to give you my version along with it, um, to want to just give a simple answer. It's easy sometimes to just want to flip open and just let's give, them a, give you a Bible verse and then you just, uh, all of a sudden your day is going to be better. Uh, when the reality is sometimes you've experienced this pain and this loss and suffering, sometimes the best thing that we could do is simply do nothing. To simply embrace the pain and the hurt and to simply just mourn with you. To simply just sit with you and be with you. See, in the book of Job, Job's friends were amazing until they opened their mouth. <laughs> it's true. The book says that and when his friends heard about what happened to Job, they came and they sat with him. And they just sat. And sometimes, listen, Christians, you don't have to have all the answers. Sometimes you just need to be there. Sometimes you just need to cry with them. And so he's, he's given this lady this answer, and he says, sometimes there's this moment where we just have to be there. And sometimes that morning takes days and, and months, and sometimes it's years. And he says, but here's what's amazing. 
at some point in the midst of your mourning and your loss and your hurt and your pain, what will happen is God will send someone else in your path. And they'll be going through something similar of what you're going through. And you'll be able to sit with them. And you'll be able to be with them during their pain and their suffering. And here's what's amazing. The pastor is speaking this to this woman in this, this, this meeting. And, and, and as he's speaking to her, another woman from this side of the audience begins to make her way over. And she comes to the lady that asked the question and just gives her a big hug and whispers in her ear, I lost my child too. And it's this moment where all of the questions and all of the pain and all of the hurt, where we just embrace it, and yet God shows up. And his glory falls in a place where we didn't expect it. Out of the ashes and out of the rubble and, at, and out of everything that you're facing in your life. It could just be that the painting's upside down and God's going to turn it right side up. We have to change our perspective. And so Paul's writing to this church he's in his in, in his prison uh, in his chains and he's saying as god is my witness how greatly i long to be with you in the affections of jesus christ and this i pray so in other words here's this pastor saying how much he loves the church but i have this prayer for you that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you might approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ Jesus. He's saying, listen, all these things, I want you to know this. This is my prayer for you, church, that in everything that you're going through, that your love would abound the more, that you would have wisdom and knowledge and that you would be sincere. Now, this word sincere takes on a few different meanings. This was originally written in the Greek, and it was given to a group, group of people that are in Rome, and uh, uh, the city of Philippi is under Roman control, and the, the people there would be, on the most part, speaking Greek, the Gr- Greek speakers, but then there would also be a group of people that would be speaking Latin, would be the language of the street. And so when this letter comes back to them, you've got to remember, it's being read to those believers, but it's also being read to those that are Romans. And so if you are a Greek speaker, it, it literally translates this, this word sincere, that those of you would love sincere, that those of you would love without hypocrisy, that you would love without hypocrisy. And so, but if you were a Greek speaker and you were translating over to the Romans that were speaking Latin, their literal translation would be this, that those of you would love without, that we, the word that we get sincere, that those of you would love without wax. Without wax. Now, why is this important? This is important because back in those days, uh, a lot of people would be pottery makers. And they would make these beautiful pieces of pottery and different jugs and cups and all of these things. And what would happen is in the marketplace, obviously, those pieces of pottery that were without cracks and without flaws would be more valuable. They would be more expensive. But there would be all these other pieces that would have cracks and flaws in them. And so what the, the, the shady people would do is they would go and they would take wax and they would fill in the pots with this wax so as to make it look like it's a real authentic, without flawed pot. So people would buy these 
pots thinking they got the real deal, only to get them home. And remember, there's no air conditioning. They would get them home, and the the sun would come out, and things would get hot, and all of a sudden the wax would begin to melt. And they would see, wait a minute, I didn't get the real deal. So what happened was these pottery makers would begin to stamp on their pottery this word, senesire, where we get the word sincere. And the word sincere on this pottery literally meant to them, without wax. So the people knew that when they were buying this piece of pottery, I'm buying a full piece of pottery that is wax-free, without hypocrisy, without wax. How often is it, is it true that we, as Christians, try to wax over our own life? We try to make ourselves look better than what we really are. We try to fill in all the cracks because we want people to think that we've got it all together. But here's the truth. Just like that piece of pottery, once the heat is activated, it brings out the real you. Let, let me give you a few examples. Let me give you a few. You thought you were patient, and then you went to a family reunion. <laughs> you thought that, oh yeah, I got this anger issue over control, and then someone skips you in line at Walmart. Oh. Did you just see what they did? Get the back of the line. Or uh, you thought you had it, and then, and then everything, and somebody's taken two parking spots? Oh. oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Oh, Lord. Which, at this point, this is a great time to remind y'all that we have these Coastal Vineyard bumper stickers. <laughs> and some of y'all shouldn't have them. <laughs> My wife is one of them. Like, baby, we got the sticker on the back. We got the sticker on the back. <laughs> Jesus loves you. Have a great day. <laughs> Some reason they keep telling me I'm number one. I don't. You'll get that later. Uh, but when the heat's added, the wax melts. Because the truth is we want everyone to think. Uh, the truth is, you know, I want somebody to think I'm smarter than I really am. I want, I want, and this, this is without exception within the church, especially within the church, the one place where we should be the most vulnerable, the one place where we should be able to be the most real, to say, this is who I am, and this is what you get, and I ain't perfect, and yet sometimes, often, we find the complete opposite. Opposite? Is that what I just said? Opposite? Opposite. Enunciate. Um, the heat's added. I have a, a few Rolex watches. Here they would be worth, you know, seven grand a piece. Or I was in Indonesia and I bought four or five Rolexes for four bucks. Which one do you think is true? <laughs> Which one do you think will make it through water? <laughs> the same is true of our lives. When the heat's added, when we're put into the the hard spots, when like Paul, we find ourselves in a prison. But yet when the heat was added to him, there was still a joy that said, listen, you guys, I love you, and I'm praying for you. Wait wait a minute, hold on. We should be praying for him. You're the one on death row here. But there was something different. There's something about him and in Christ that goes beyond these present circumstances. There's something about Christ Jesus that goes beyond our cultural norm, that goes beyond who's president. 
It goes beyond uh, what's happening and what's right and what's wrong and, and all these things. There's a certain solid foundation that no matter what happens in my life, Jesus is there. And so whether I'm on top of the world or I'm at the deepest bottom of the pit, God, your glory rises. And sometimes it rises in unexpected places. May we live sincere. May we live without wax. May we live without hypocrisy. Now, this word hypocrisy, uh, oftentimes when I begin to talk to people about church, uh, and inviting people to church, one of the things that people say is, no, I'm not going to go to church. Uh, church is full of hypocrites. And to which I say, yeah. So what's the problem? <laughs> the club's full of hypocrites. The bar's full of hypocrites. You still go there. You really think that that bartender cares about you? <laughs> so then why wouldn't you come to church? Yeah, there's hypocrites, there's hypocrites everywhere. And Paul even addresses that. And Paul says, listen, I'm in these things, and some of these from Caesar's house are, are getting saved, and yet, yet this so much, brethren, uh, some do indeed preach Christ out of envy and strife. In other words, there's hypocrisy in that church. People always say, hey, I wish it could be like the early church. It is. <laughs> there, there, there's envy and strife, and, and people are even trying to add affliction to my chains. Still happens today, but yet there are those that do it out of love. And so my prayer for you is that you would be those that do it out of love, that your love would be sincere, that your love would be without hypocrisy, that your love would be without wax. Let people see the real you. Because here's what happens. When people see the real you, it's inspiring. And, and Paul even, even says it because he says, listen, uh, uh, those that have come that have become even more confident because of my chains, because of what he's going through, it has breeded confidence in others. Have you ever been unconfident in something until you've seen someone else do it? And then all of a sudden you saw someone else do it and then it put the confidence in you. Uh, um, a few years ago, I'm trying to learn how to snowboard, and I am terrible. Everyone told me, oh, you're a surfer, so you'll be able to snowboard. No, no, it doesn't work that way. Water, snow, completely different, even though they're the same molecule. But, and I'm trying to learn to snowboard. I'm falling on my face. Uh, I do this time and time and time again, and then finally we invite some other people, Kyle Kyle Despierto, our worship leader's up there, and he's going to learn how to snowboard. And I'm thinking, all right, at least there's going to be someone right beside me that we can, like, fall on our butts with down the mountain. It's going to be great. But then he starts doing good. And I'm mad. Like, no. And Kyle's getting it. I should be able to get it. And I can't get it. And I, but he inspired me. And so I started snowboarding better. I started snowboarding a little faster. Like, oh, yeah, I got this. And then all of a sudden, Kyle comes whizzing by me. I say, like, little sucker. And then, <laughs> and then I, I shout out to him. I'm like, dude, you're going too fast. And then we, we get to the bottom of the mountain, and Kyle spills. And he pops his head on the ground. Bad. And I look at him, and I was, I wanted to say, I thought so. <laughs> but I was a good pastor. But then he inspired me to go get a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> But that's how it works. 
See, you've got to get around some people that will push you further than you thought you could go on your own. See, there's that old famous story of uh, Bannister. You know, for years and years and years, nobody could break the four-minute mile. And then he broke it. And you want to know what happened? After he broke the four-minute mile, within the same year, 24 other people had broken it. What was once thought impossible was now possible. Why? Not because of new technology, not because, because they saw someone else do it. And whenever we stand up for Christ, and when we are ourselves sincere without wax, and people see it within us, it will create not only boldness in us, but it will create boldness in others. And we will take and we will push people farther into greater places than we could ever go on our own. See, because here's one thing that people don't know about the, the Roger Bannister breaking of the four-minute mile, that there was two other people running right beside him, two other people that are called pace setters. And these two people that ran, they basically ran beside him for different parts of the track to, to keep pace. Because here's the thing, whenever you were to run off and run uh, on your own, you in- inherently will slow down. You will begin to think that you're running faster than you really are. And so these people would run beside him just to keep him in check, just to let you know you're not that fast. You have to keep up this pace. And we, too, need people in our lives that will help us keep the pace. That will challenge us to go further. To get up on that snowboard, slide down the mountain. And to sometimes have to buy a helmet. It's part of it. And Paul's saying, listen, I've seen this. I've seen the boldness in others. And I've seen it uh, just multiply because my reaction to these chains, to these chains that I'm in. He's saying, listen, you could experience joy no matter what. You could experience joy no matter what. In verse 21, he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, the literal translation of this passage is this. It doesn't say is. It just says, to me, to, it says this, to live, Christ, to die, gain. He is making a statement that says, to live, Christ, to die, gain. In other words, this, whatever I do, I can't lose. I can't lose. Because to live, Christ, to die, gain. It's all good. It doesn't matter what they do to me. It doesn't matter if I'm in prison or free because to live, Christ, to die, gain, I can't lose no matter what. Because at the beginning of the reading this morning, it says this, I am confident in this, that he who begun a good work will see it through. And And then later on, he says this in verse 25, and being confident again in this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all of your progress and joy. In other words, I'm confident in this, that I am going to continue with you no matter what. I'm not giving up on you. Paul's saying this. Not only is it that Christ believes in you, it's that I believe in you. And if that he who started a good work will see it through the day of complete, if he thinks you're worthy, I think you're worthy. And because he hasn't given up on you, I'm not giving up on you. And I don't care what the circumstances look like. I don't care how far away you've gone. I'm not giving up on you. And that's why I pray for you, that your love would be sincere. And that your love would be without hypocrisy. Because greater is he that is in you 
than he that is in the world. There is a powerful, powerful grace of God that is living inside of you right now. It's the power to overcome every circumstance. So may you tap into that power. May you see the grace of God moving and breathing in your life, even among the ashes. May you have a whole new perspective on what God is doing. May you love sincere. May you love without wax. You are free to be you. And we need you. Let's pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, God, we need you. There are those of us that feel like we've been beaten up by the world. There are those of us that join with the psalm of David that says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. God, we pray for that joy. We pray for that peace. May we keep our eyes upon you, Lord. May you come, even now at this moment, Holy Spirit, come into this place. Holy Spirit, breathe life among the ashes. Lord, I pray for boldness in your church. Not a boldness, that's a really weird, offensive kind of thing but a boldness that comes from confidence in you. Confidence in your word and your grace. Not in our own abilities, but in yours, Lord. May we stand. And having done all that we could do, stand. Breathe life. Breathe joy. Breathe revival. Breathe resurrection. In the powerful, powerful name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Love you guys. If anyone needs prayer for anything, there's going to be some people up here that would love to pray with you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Grace and peace.